So we're back with So You Think You Know Sports. We give you weekly updates on things you want to know, like off-the-court stories, game highlights, and all-around current sports knowledge, mostly highlighting NBA, NFL, and sometimes college. This week, we give you the best of the Jordan documentary, Last Dance, Part 5 and 6. Still a whole lot of great content there. Uh, the I, the Knicks eyeing Chris Paul as a major piece to their franchise. The NBA eyeing December for the start of the 2021 season, along with Andy Dalton's signing to the Cowboys and what how significant that is, along with some movement in the NFL. But before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the host. My name is Muhammad. Oops. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. My yeah. name is Alex uh, and Muhammad. Go ahead and say something for them. <laughs> hey, just want to say what's up to all our listeners. Um, thank you for listening and make sure you keep listening and subscribe to our podcast and other platforms, including Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, yeah, run those listens up. Um, we're actually going to leave that in there. Um, normally, probably would have uh, edited that out where I did call myself Muhammad, but uh, I guess it's that stir crazy when it comes to quarantine, but we still have great sports news when it comes to the world of sports. Today, we begin with the Jordan documentary Last Dance, part five and six. A couple of the big highlights in these two parts of the documentary is the Michael Jordan's major addiction to gambling. Jordan being so popular, it kept him from being in the public. Charles Barkley's great stats, but lost to the Bulls in a championship and Barkley's MVP year. Kobe versus Jordan in an all-star game showdown, along with the bullying of Tony Kukos uh, of the U.S. Olympic team and him getting a little bit of slight revenge, even though he lost to that same team, but put up good stats. But I begin to ask, do you feel Jordan was a little scared of the young Kobe? I think that he was mm, he, he was a little afraid of him. Mainly because he saw that he was what Kobe was the type of guy that never gave up. He was a hard worker. This relationship between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant has really been kept under wraps. Not many people know about their conversations, but uh, Kobe, he tried to learn everything from Michael Jordan. He contacted him personally. He he got his number after games and just kept picking and prodding his brain just so he could be just like Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was the pinnacle of success in the NBA. And uh, Michael Jordan, he knew that Kobe, he had that fire, and he thought that he just might be as good as him. So I think he was just a little bit afraid of him coming for him. Yeah, at that point, in his career, even though he won the MVP of the All-Star Game in that matchup, uh, I think he was a little scared of him uh, there because he saw himself. That's why he, in most cases, would say uh, confidently whether he, – he just always knew he could win, and he would say he would win. I think even if somewhere in the back of his mind he didn't think he won, would win, he would still – be that way. But when proposed where Kobe said he'll beat him one-on-one, uh, Jordan said, you might. That is the most respect I think Jordan's probably ever given out to any other player who feels that they are just as good as him. Uh, so, yeah, I think he was a little scared of him, and he actually made him put him under his wing. And as Kobe said, you wouldn't have those five championships without the influence of Jordan. And Jordan also shared that Kobe stole all his moves. So he's not too mad at him, but he's like, hey, you can't help but be a little afraid of myself. Yeah. And 
Um, Jordan can really he can take a lot of the credit for making Kobe because he taught him so much. He taught him everything about his game. Well, Kobe was already doing it. Kobe was already trying to be Jordan before Jordan actually took a bump under his wings. He just got a professional uh, kind of showing of being under his wing versus copying him from afar or copying him by the tape, which he he completely shows he's diligent and is going to get what he wants. Kobe. Yeah, um, but I think it's it's a lot better whenever you get to talk to the person. Um, he even said just being just going up against Michael Jordan, he finally got to feel him in the flesh, the the strength that he had, uh, the way he moved. Just that one on one contact is so much better than just looking at somebody on tape. Yeah, Kobe probably felt like that was the best day in his life. Uh, where he got to actually play against what he probably played out in his head many, many times. He felt he he was going to be better than Jordan because he was going to take everything Jordan has done. He he I think he took that commercial want to be like Mike to come pure heart, pure pure heart. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he never stopped. He he was always a student, willing to listen. And just take in everything. Yeah, completely. So uh, do you buy Jordan's competition addiction or are you more on the side of it being a gambling addiction? I think it is a competitive addiction, mainly because it leads over to gambling because he just thinks he's so good and he's not going to let up until he beats somebody and kills them. So he just keeps going like he just doesn't know when to stop because he he never wants to lose he's so competitive it pushes him to just try to win at all costs and if that costs him money or his reputation so be it completely i i, I definitely agree there um but i i actually he He's persuaded me a little bit that it is a competition addiction because you saw it when it came to those uh, was it quarter flips? They they <laughs> were inventing games to be uh, competitive about. Like this man really does have a competitive uh, addiction. Like that's I, I it can go hand in hand. I think it's because he needs to weigh something on it. But like he said, he wants to know that he got your money. Four dollars really didn't mean anything to him, just like the five thousand he would put up uh, doing golf or any other things, shooting around, uh, playing uh, cars on the back of the plane, at the different times. But uh, I guess if you got the money for it, it's not a gambling addiction. And because it's Jordan, it's just what makes Jordan Jordan. I guess that is the difference between LeBron and uh, Jordan is it is a competition addiction. I think LeBron knows when to let off the gas. Uh, yeah, I, I I can agree with that. I, I think LeBron just knows where to put his energy into. He he doesn't need to put his energy into everything. He knows when when to back off. Yeah, and also Jordan don't, did not care absolutely at all about being liked. He did care about the money, and he definitely it's like. He never cared about being liked, but he wants his money, which came along with the popularity. (laughs) He wants to win. He wants to destroy you. He doesn't he doesn't really just want to win. He he wants to take your money and humiliate you. Yeah. On and off the court. On and off the court. So uh, actually, uh, I kind of in between on and off the court, uh, referring to the. Olympic team was the Olympic team right by bullying Tony Kukos. I think at the time, I mean, I I, I never condone bullying, <laughs> but this is basketball. We're, we're gonna, <laughs> uh, this is that's not bullying, that's dominance. But keep going. <laughs> yes, but I think they were right because there was this huge dislike for Jerry Krause that was growing within the organization, the Bulls organization. And for them 
well, for Jerry Cross to present this player who had never been in the NBA, like, well, putting him on this pedestal, they just thought that that was disrespectful. And they were going to show him that, show Jerry Krause that he's wrong. We're going to annihilate him and show him that he does not belong with us. Yeah, I, I can agree. Uh, that is their motive. And really, the backstory is Tony Kukos is pretty hardcore. Like, he, he went through some war type stuff. Like, he went through some real, real stuff. And the real, one reason why he wasn't in the NBA earlier, like he said, was because he was making more money across seas versus uh, where he would be at income-wise in the NBA. So it, it does speak more in a whole, I guess, when you do kind of highlight the Jerry Krause uh, relationship in this this bullying uh, it was kind of like they were bullying Jerry Krause through Tony Kukos, through that decision-making, like you said, um, in a way. So I think they took it personal that he held them so high when they were already such a great team. Yeah, they, they had already been successful. They won multiple championships, and then here you go and raise this guy on a pedestal. I mean, what about us? We were the one who got you here. Yo, and actually, this is a side note because you can tell uh, Jordan just really don't care when he says what he says and most times how he says it. Uh, you saw when Seinfeld came into the locker room. And then did you catch when he said, this guy over here loves your show? He didn't say, I love your show. He said, that, this guy over here loves your show. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know whether anybody else caught that, but he no, was, I didn't. He, <laughs> you didn't catch him? He was no. Because if you see, you if you can read his, through this documentary, I we all know Jordan was like this. But I guess as an adult, I can analyze a little bit more of some of the things he said or what he's not saying in some situations. Specifically that situation when I he was probably playing the whole media game and knowing he's on camera and also a way of showing somebody he probably was coached by or he just knows uh, how to deal with people in public that he knows how to compliment somebody without n- not actually complimenting that person. For example, yeah. Seinfeld saying, hey, this guy loves your show. He never said, I love your show. Oh, yeah, he's definitely been coached, um, or at least he's had a lot of practice. And yeah, that's he, why he, was, he's, he, he, he looks uh, very good in interviews. Because he's Michael Jordan. And at that time, Mike, being a Michael was one of the, the best things to be. Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. And it, 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 it keeps going. Uh, Mike Ty- Michael Tyson, which would be Mike Tyson. It was great to be a, a Michael in the 90s. When it came to superstars, but we'll move it along with: Is it fair to compare Charles Barkley of the '90s to the Giannis of the now? Is it fair? Um, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're not exactly the same type of player. Charles. Well, Bar- what, which one are you putting over the other? Just to, for me to interrupt there. Well, um, I mean, I wasn't really trying to compare them as far as who's better, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe you can provide some analysis on that. Well, the reason why I said uh, propose this question is I think you can kind of compare the Giannis uh, and the Barkley of the 90s, because if you if from the documentary, it just kind of gave me more light into the time of. Charles Barkley and how he how good he actually was and even his statement where which I fully believe he did believe this internally when he got beat by Jordan and the Bulls in the championship uh, one of those games he said that was the one of the first times was the first time he felt there was any other player who was better than him that was also his MVP year which of course Michael Jordan was mad about and had a reason of of course create a you know some drama to be against uh, somebody else and of course to overcome it's a smart tactic but to round it all in Barkley was quite amazing during that time he put up some amazing stats and it, it really isn't shared how great he was 
I think looking at between the two, he, he kind of resembles the Giannis of now. And it's not like Giannis is too far out from the basket. So you're saying he, he kind of dominates as far as like long strides. I, I'm not sure yeah, exactly where they, where they compare. Was, was Charles Barkley facing the, uh, was he backing down to the basket quite often? He was always tend to be facing the basket, right? That's a Giannis thing. Giannis have, has problems with that. Uh, and it's not a problem. It's just because he's dominant doing it the way he does it. Just like Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley had a mid-range game. He, he, can, uh, he was a great rebounder. He, was, uh, he went to the hoop very well. He, he had a long stride uh, when it came to uh, playing. It, you can kind of see it. I at least saw it from what I saw in the documentary and maybe those small highlights I would have seen in the past, which is not many. Yeah, I guess you can say they compare there, but Charles Barkley was just a much more bigger, imposing player. If you look at the the Charles Barkley of that championship, which is the furthest he got, he looks pretty skinny. He looks kind of Giannis. Let's compare to now. (laughs) I think you're you're putting that weight on the memory of him. But if you looked at a documentary, you saw he was quite skinny. He was he was fit. Yeah, he was fit for he, he Charles wasn't a Barkley Shaq. now. He was not a Shaq size. He was not a uh, bloody diva size. He just wasn't. He didn't have the the size until later in his career. But uh, we went too far into that one. I'll go to the last question about this. Why has it become a thing to attack LeBron with the popularity of the Last Dance documentary? It's become a thing because there are those... Jordan worshippers who basically think he can walk on water and <laughs> they don't think he's ever done a bad thing. This only just it puts an exclamation point on why they think he is the greatest. And I still think he is, but I don't think that he should be put on that type of pedestal where they, they just think that he can just walk on water. The Jordan-LeBron debate has been going on for many years, and all of the Jordan worshipers, they just say, LeBron, he'll never be Jordan. He'll never be better than him. He's 3-6 and six in the finals. Jordan would have never done this or that. But there's plenty of things to pick and prod at Michael Jordan for that we just don't have the constant 24-hour news cycle. I mean, they didn't have that back then. True. True. Um, I think it is a thing because it is people's youth. Uh, a great majority and even the youth now are influenced by the past youth, um, which will be some of our generation and an older generation. But they all adorn Michael Jordan during the 90s. 90s kind of seemed like the uh, the more upbeat but older slightly merging between the new age and the old age of the way of doing things in in general. So the eighties in general has that stigma about crack nineties just seems like a good time. That's just the memory on, I I, I would say overall the world, even if you're younger, but I think since Michael Jordan got so deified during that time, he can do no wrong even when he does wrong. Yeah, I agree. And you're just not going to be able to change their minds. The people who already think um, back in the old times, well, not old times, but, you know, the the throwback people, they're still going to think that Michael Jordan is going to be the best ever. And that'll never change. No matter what LeBron does, um, they don't want to hear anything about LeBron. Um, But I think that is unfair. Uh, LeBron, he has done so much good on and off the court. And he's one of the best players ever. Uh, and th- there's no question about it. Well, I also think it's due to Jordan's success off the court when it comes to the shoes. Uh, he is hands down the most highest selling influential brand on like out of all players ever. There's no player who sells more shoes and has sold more shoes. And due to that success, it, ever since the 90s, has never drawn down, has never uh, wavered. 
that gets also attached to him. And it, if you take away, I guess, the stigma or the, uh, the, the feeling of him being the, the elite, you, you might have to also take away a little bit of the worth of, I guess, the shoes uh, in people's minds. Yeah, I agree with that because I think he said that his his play spoke for the the selling of his shoes. Like if he didn't do well on the court, then his shoes would not have sold so well. And since he got that look of the greatest player ever in the NBA, that sold his shoes and it continues to sell his shoes today. I definitely agree because I just actually cop like a, a pair of the Jordan ones. I was actually inspired even by the documentary, but I was already doing it before I saw this, ver- this version. What do you mean a trader? I, I I didn't say I had to support your shoes to uh, to be uh, your top fan because I, I do believe that LeBron's the greatest uh, player ever, even with the whole documentary. Um, so it, it's it's definitely not a trading situation. It's, it's favoritism towards a uh, shoe brand, uh, which most people would <laughs> do it that way also. Um, but I'll actually move it to a, another subject, which is about the NBA. Uh, well, the NBA is leaning towards the NBA 2020-2021 season starting in December and maybe even playing the games on starting on gr- Christmas Day and the season ending in June. So, with that in mind, do you see the move of the beginning of the 2021 NBA season to December as a progressive move in the right way for viewing numbers? I definitely think it's the right move because personally, for myself, I don't pay attention to the NBA until mainly just around Christmas time um, because you have those NBA Christmas Day games. And that's the centerpiece around uh, that time for sports, uh, because the NFL is basically reigning supreme from August to February, you know, until the Super Bowl is over. So there's really no reason for it to start in October. Um, I think this probably should have been changed years ago, but I also think that one thing that's uh, one thing that has made the numbers decline is because of the way that the NBA games can be consumed. I mean, you can get it on YouTube. Uh, Multiple people, they upload videos right after the game. They get like nine minutes worth of um, of the game, and that's enough to get most of the highlights. So there's so many other ways to consume the game that people don't really feel the need to go and watch the game fully. And they have so many other things to do. I agree. The most expensive uh, thing in life is time. And with the age of technology, everything's grappling at your uh, grappling at your time. Uh, You decide where to put it. Well, for the people who do tune into the NBA, even on a, day by day basis it's a lot easier to go on YouTube and watch a nine minute video where you got to see every score and more than likely they're going to put any sorts of highlights uh, whether it be a fight or anything within that bite of the scoring of the game (laughs) so uh, unless you want the whole feel and the whole uh, two hour three hour experience of the game it just seems to be the better way to uh, do it so but to address the actual question, whether it's a great move for viewership to move it to December, even starting that on Christmas, possibly, I think that's a great idea. It's absolutely a great idea because it fits right in where the college football season is dying down. It's now bowl season and it's a random uh, you catch which bowl game you want to catch because there's just so many of them. Uh, so, but it fits perfectly into matchups just like it would any other year for the N- NBA because the Christmas matchups are most times highly favorited uh, matchups like the Clippers and Lakers and, you know, just Rockets and other teams, the other bigger teams. But 
uh, I would say yes, this is the best move towards a more progressive uh, situation when it comes to viewership, and maybe they can even shorten the season. So you say shorten the season. What would you propose? Um, what is it? Seventy? It's more than seventy-three. Eighty-two. Yeah. Eighty-two. Yeah. Um, eighty-two games. Take it. Take it to seventy. Seventy sixty-five. If it's somewhere right around there, 65 is a perfect one, but I think that might be cutting it short uh, and might feel like it got cut short, but it might put a little bit more meaning to the games. And you don't have to do a midseason championship to kind of save the meaning of the whole uh, and do all these tricks just to make the season look interesting, especially, <laughs> especially when it's going to have March Madness, uh, some action dab in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, let's do less games. Let's make them count more because I think around the time where the the pandemic was coming around, that's when everything was starting to heat up. So if there's less games, they'll take them more seriously. They uh, the intensity will be higher to get the the playoff seating. So less games is more. Very true. Um, so I'll actually move to the next question, which is, do you feel the season ending in June will interfere with leagues like the Summer League, Olympics, and other college basketball programs. Wait, you said ending in June? Yeah. That's what they're proposing. The, 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 the season begins in December, ends in June. Well, I mean, doesn't it already kind of end in June? No, the, the, the finals? Season. No, the, uh, this is a regular season. Oh, the regular season. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the um, season, just the yeah, you can't. Yeah, go ahead. OK, so, yeah, that's definitely going to interfere with a lot of stuff. It's probably good for the NBA, but not for those other sports. Baseball was already declining. It, it didn't matter. College basketball, th- those college athletes, they'll have more time in between the end of March Madness to whenever they put push the draft back to which I guess would be after the finals, which might be going into August, late August. Um, it's going, it definitely will interfere with a lot of the other sports, but I think it's the best thing for the NBA. Yeah. So the summer league might turn into the fall league. Um, the Olympics, ah, it's going to make it a tight window on who actually participates. It may turn back into a college um, all-stars type of thing. Um, and then you have the actual basketball seasons. Uh, it it actually could fix something when it comes to the NCAA. They, they won't like it, but it would fix something actually for the NBA. So you know how you have the one-and-done rule or uh, you have to be at, what, 19 to join the NBA without um, – actually like you can you can't be 18 and join the nba like it was before you can't come straight out of high school so in this case it's a six six month push from when uh somebody would have gotten drafted before so this creates at least a window where some people get to join the league a little bit earlier than the others do you, if you get the math yeah i mean that that helps with the nba but a lot of these other Sports, they're going to see a decline. And I think that the, the NCAA is going to see a decline anyway with the Euro leagues, the leagues overseas accepting these players and ESPN and other networks trying to get those games and let them be viewable for the general public. Yeah, and I honestly think that we may be at an end where the Dream Team will be the greatest team ever. Uh, to participate in the Olympics because there will be none in the future that will be able to be assembled so greatly. And uh, of course, there's other uh, a couple that could compete with it, but we we all deify the dream team as such. I don't think major players will be traveling to go to these Olympics and things like that simply due to this pandemic. So it creates a uh, a future where stars do not participate anymore 
Yeah, I 100% agree with that. This pandemic is going to affect anything when it comes to traveling. Agreed. Uh, and so it's definitely, you won't see Steph Curry in the uh, uh, Olympics along with, you definitely won't see LeBron again. Uh, a lot of these stars you would never see again in doing an Olympics uh, competition. So, but we move it along uh, to the Knicks. So the Knicks are eyeing Chris Paul and they quote believe bringing him there will jumpstart the franchise efforts to build a winning culture. So does the Knicks have a shot at building a winning culture with Chris Paul leading their team? I say they can make some noise in the East with Chris Paul, but that's not going to make them successful. I think that they're going to have to have that talent come from within whether that be through the draft or any of their current players. Because the only way that they're going to get anybody is just from trading. Nobody wants to go there. You're going to have to have some young talent who is making a lot of noise, becoming an all-star, and they will attract more talent to New York because nobody wants to play for that current owner. You got Spike Lee out here saying that, He's not going to show up to any more games, at least for this past season. But he's burning a lot of bridges, the owner for the Knicks, and nobody wants to play for them. You just opened up the full bag of worms because I didn't expect you to get fully into those things. Uh, I'll just go ahead and flail out all of the different comments I've just kind of thought. So uh, the Knicks owner, he did get Corona, and you don't you can't understand how many New Yorkers actually wanted him to die from it. Uh, so you're, I definitely agree. He is burning a lot of bridges. Uh, so uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, now, Chris Paul, they would, of course, they would create some noise in the East um, because Chris Paul has already shown with the thunder that you can't count them out at all. They were going to make the playoffs. Uh, if not, possibly get out of the first round with Chris Paul at the Thunder when we were all originally thinking he would be out of there as soon as he got traded there. Um, But I do think they have a shot at building a winning culture with him. They need to go ahead and invest in someone like a stockbroker because they need to be buying and selling constantly with all the power forwards that they have. Sorry, small forwards that they uh, currently have on their team. They have a whole lot of, I guess, tradable pieces. But they're going to have to do a whole lot of work to get something that looks like a winning team. Yeah, but I just go back to nobody wants to go there unless they like they're drafted there. They're going to have to come from within. Okay, so because that actually puts me to the next question and you kind of answer it. But I would like you to go more into detail. How attractive is the Knicks and the aging aging star Chris Paul? to the rest of the NBA's star players? Absolutely zero. Because Mm. (laughs) Chris Paul is aging. Um, He still is a very good player. But um, nobody looks at that as a future. Whenever a player goes over to another team, they look at their future there, that they can win championships. It's all about the rings. If you don't get a ring, then why are you there? And it's... I don't see how that attracts any other free agents. I think if the Thunder are able to trade him to the Knicks, they will get a lot of pieces for him because the team has done well around him. Yeah, I I would think it would be a great trade. Like uh, in practicality of like trade and uh, who's getting beneficial pieces, I think the trade would happen. Uh, The Knicks – need something to give hope to the franchise and they see that he's a winner. He definitely showed it when he went to the thunder and didn't complain and produced. Um, and the thunder need young pieces. They were already in rebuild mode. They just further off head in their game than they thought. Um, so I, I do think it actually does make the Knicks attractive. I think, New York in general, outside of this whole pandemic thing, is very attractive to players, uh, income-wise and 
to be a part of a, a major franchise. Now, the owner does have a bad reputation because he's, he's just out here wilding most times. Uh, but I think he would appreciate Chris Paul. To my knowledge, he's not racist. He's just an asshole. Yeah, but I don't know. It's just hard for me to see anybody else going there. I, what Do people think they're going to win a championship there? Well, I'm not. I think they feel that anything's possible. The East is it's weak. And it's no guarantee that Kyrie and uh, KD are going to work out with the Knicks. It, it hasn't even been fully formed yet. There, and it's actually had this function with Kyrie by himself. Uh, so I think it's at least slightly attractive. Let's say you pull an Owen Depot, or because uh, now he's going to New York, New York from Indiana. That's that's positive. And you also are seen as a hope. So there's there's some type of positivity around it. And if since they have so many other younger pieces and tradable pieces, uh, they can actually they can get something out of this. Uh, I forgot uh, they do have R.J. Barrett, and hopefully that does uh, give them something uh, that they can build on. Also, that he's not a dud. I think that's the only thing. There's there's no hope for them. I, I I I can't disagree. I just can't disagree on that one at all. Uh, but we'll <laughs> we'll move on to uh, the NFL and a big signing, but shouldn't be a big signing of Andy Dalton to the Cowboys as he as he was the uh, starting quarterback for the Bengals for many years, uh, with not many great results. But I'll quickly ask what. Is the Cowboys front office saying with the Andy Dalton signing? They're saying, hey, Dak, um, you see that? We got ourselves a starting quarterback if you don't want to come play for us. <laughs> like, oh, this God. gives them leverage <laughs> because Andy Dalton, he has been trashed the last couple of years, but he has made the playoffs before. I think he's that type of quarterback who can steer the ship, but not good enough to put you over the edge. And I think the Cowboys are basically fine with that. I mean, they, they do want to sign the deck, but not at whatever price that they can't negotiate on. This just really gives them leverage. They have maybe, what, uh, maybe eight or nine years starter as a backup who can easily come in and be successful with this offense because they have so many weapons and then their defense should be better. Um, they just think that they already have the team set. They're just waiting on that quarterback to be signed. And this just gives them a lot of leverage. Boy, boy, boy. It, it, it kind of says a few things. It does say that they're highly disrespectful um, in multiple ways. Uh, that brother just died. Y'all been doing this whole contract negotiation for over two years where it, it this just is where – it, it should have been done. Uh, he's he's actually done very well when it comes to him specifically. But what it says is, yeah, we do have our picture of what we image to be cowboy quarterback. And I, mean, I actually don't get why, because it's not like he had a lot of success with the Bengals. Um, but they are hedging their bets, and they're also saying – hey, Dak, if you don't take the discount, if you don't give us the discount, you will be gone and we, we won't really care. Yeah, and I think the only thing that Andy Dalton didn't do was win any playoff games. He did put up pretty good numbers. He's had some good wins here and there, but never won in the playoffs. Uh, that's a problem when you're there for what what was it? It was minimum six years, but I, I don't remember exactly how many years it was. Yeah, but I'm not sure if he's ever had this much talent on an offense. I guess you're not considering Chad Ochocinco talent. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't know if he. I don't think he was there. I don't think he time. was there. I don't think he was there either. But I was. Uh, I guess that's a flat joke. I, I, but he was <laughs> on the Bengals. <laughs> he, was he had AJ Green, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it has been reported. 
that Andy Dalton could have been a starter with the Jags in Jacksonville. So why didn't he take the for sure starting spot? He took it because it's closer to home. Um, He probably always wanted to play for the Cowboys, and this was his chance. Um, And he probably sees that he might have a chance on starting if Dak doesn't, I I guess, sign or show up to training camp. They go with Andy Dalton. And if you look at the breakdown of his contract, he can make a a max of $7 million. Like if he plays, I think, maybe 35% of the snaps in the regular season and maybe 50% in the playoffs and they win a Super Bowl, he can get $7 million for that year. Wow. Like they're showing a whole lot of love to Andy Dalton. <laughs> and I, I guess that's why you go and sit on the bench because uh, you're kind of tired of the spotlight and possibly the all of the blame for why your team doesn't win in the playoffs. And now you're getting a tailor-made team who's kind of supposed to have always been in the running. But they, they're actually... I would even say starting to shape up to look like a possible Super Bowl team. Um, And I think because Andy Dalton knows the role, he knows the role of being a franchise player and being in the spotlight, even taking the criticism. He, he does at least do that. Well, yeah, I've never heard anything controversial from him. So I think he is the model citizen. Yes, and I think it is a there is a glimmer of a hope that he can actually be the starting quarterback of the Cowboys. And I would give it if there was a percentage out there once he's he was signed, there's it's this number is going to constantly grow depending on the future of what happens uh, with their contract negotiations, how Dak plays and how the uh, the Cowboys actually win. But I would say right now. He has about a 15% chance of starting for the for the Cowboys with Dak being healthy. Ooh, I'm going to raise your one and say 20% Ooh, just because okay. of <laughs> the impending season because they are going with going through with this season no matter what. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. So uh, why is it that Andy Dalton has more openings at starting quarterback in the league over a more proven Cam Newton. It's because I think I've said this before, but he's damaged goods and nobody has been able to look at Cam Newton since this whole injury thing. Maybe once there's some restrictions lifted, um, some teams can get some physicals done on him and and look at him because we, most teams just don't know what they're going to get out of Cam Newton. His past couple of seasons, he has just been hurt. They they just don't know what they're going to get. I I think there's a whole lot more upside on this for Cam. And I don't I think it's highly disrespectful that he's not fully being more considered um to be in that in that realm or at least possibility for being a starting quarterback. I think it's it's some type of negative uh perception on the idea of Cam being a starting quarterback it's like it's, it's fun for some reason once the nfl is over you and you've taken this uh, in their way fame to your head they once it's they're able to forget you when you even have the still have the talent they do it because they did do it to to uh ocho cinco with, with a, a couple of different players who they just personally did not like yeah and to add on to that I think that they don't want the because, you know, what what comes with Cam is some type of he's just going to bring something extra to where he's going to have some attention on him. And maybe teams don't want that. They know that it's going to be all about Cam Newton and they, they don't want the distraction. They're blaming him for knowing the game, though. This is an entertainment game. And he's actually playing up to the cameras like he's supposed to do. But for some reason, they have chosen that they don't like it uh, anymore when it comes to camp. So I can uh, I can definitely agree on that. Um, I actually forgot my actual the full point I wanted to make about this. But um, 
with with Cam, I, I just think they they're not willing to give him a chance right now, just like they did with a a couple of players once they dislike their uh, personality. And act, oh, that's I now I remember what it is. So I, I don't get why they actually don't have this. It's a it's a double uh, standard here. Why isn't that Gronk is not looked at badly in the league when he actually his whole image is party guy who drinks beers, slams it on his head and do, does crazy things? I would say it is a double standard, but he has also won some championships. Uh, uh, I, OK, <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's <laughs> so it, has, it has to be a that's the only difference. Uh, I, I guess that might be true, but I just can't fully say whether that is that way. Um, but I'm moving along, but keep it in the same realm of football and with Gronk, uh, where Gronk is favorited, favorited right now to win the NFL Comeback Player of the Year award and recently has trademarked the, I'm going to say it out because I may need to spell this for you, Tom Bay Broncaneers. And I did change around the T-A in the Tampa to O for Tom for Tom Brady and Buccaneers to Gronkaneers. That has been trademarked. So I'll go ahead and ask, has the Tampa Bay Tom Brady Gronk mania gotten a little out of hand? Uh, yeah, I think it probably has because it's all about Tom Brady and, and, and Gronk joining back together. Like, this is a reunion, but... The, They're new to the team, and they are here trademarking. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. Um, they, they basically made themselves New England South. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it is a little bit too much, but there's got to be some hype somewhere. We What comes with Tom Brady and Gronk, it comes with a winning culture. They have won multiple rings together. They know what it takes to succeed at the highest level. And as long as they win, I'm pretty sure they'll be fine with this hype. I'm going to give you an analogy here. It's like two guys who went to who make really good grades at a boarding school together. And they've hung out many different times. And now they get to go to summer camp where there's a whole lot less rules. They are wilding in Florida. And I don't even think they're living in Florida yet. Uh, so, yes, I would say the mania has gotten out of hand so far. It, it's, it's crazy, I guess. It's slightly smart to trademark because then you can get the money off of it. Off of it. But who are you really out here uh, suing or, I guess, taking trademarks from? Maybe Nike, but I just didn't think they would go that far. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I like that analogy, and I, I can definitely agree with that. Okay, so uh, actually, uh, moving on. So, if Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, don't make it past the first round of the playoffs next season, will it hurt Tom Brady or Gronk's legacy? Will it hurt? Um, I, I think in some people's eyes, but. For the most part, no. Um, most people have been saying that he had been washed up anyway. He has already won so many Super Bowls and been so successful and has just done so many things that have never been done before that I don't think it should hurt his legacy, but it might hurt his legacy just a little bit. Yeah, I, I can kind of agree, but I would also I'm not sure. I think it has to be a very bad showing uh, for it to hurt his legacy. And it's kind of hard when Peyton set the standard of the Ducks he was throwing the year they won the Super Bowl. Uh, this man's arm was done. Uh, but uh, to, to pull it back in on Tom Brady, I would say in the end, people would just say it was a fun experiment. Uh, just like... Um, Jerry Rice to the Raiders, but that wasn't just a fun experiment. He actually went to the Super Bowl. Well, I'm I'm gonna give you another comparison. Brett Favre, whenever he went to the Minnesota Vikings, he balled out also. 
Well, not initially. He he went to the Jets in between there, but <laughs> but when he went to Minnesota, he had one of his best years absolutely ever. I think that was his best year ever. Was one of his last years. He was forty something uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. His actual supposed to have been rival. Yeah, but then he messed that up with a pick, and that basically well, ended his career. It was the bounty ball, also. I mean, he still threw the interception. Yeah, he he. Yeah, you're right, and I don't <laughs> really. I, you're you're definitely right because I don't really have real sympathy for. I was I was rooting for the. Um, I was actually didn't care which one won it, but you know at that time, kind of everybody wanted New Orleans to have a win because of Katrina. Uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what was all going on during that time, but. Brett Favre absolutely balled out that year. There was the whole bounty gate in the NFL where they put out a bounty to pretty much injure um, Tom Brady and other key players where they would actually put in money, which then the Saints ended up getting penalized for later on in uh, later years. But overall, I agree. I have no sympathy for the bounty bowl. He did throw an interception. Yeah. Um, and I think it was very ill-advised, and he just got knocked out. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, I think, he, he got killed on that uh, play. I still I remember this, right now. I can visualize, visualize the, it. The same thing happened to Kurt Warner, I think. I'm pretty sure he played him that year. Uh, Yeah, I think so. Kurt Warner was balling that year also. Was that when he was at the Cardinals? Yeah. He had he, been at the Cardinals. Uh, when Larry, Larry Swift, yeah, they, was, they were doing pretty good that year also. I think they went to the Super Bowl. Those are that's who they played, right? No, they, they played against Peyton Manning. Oh, it was the following year. Right. All right, yeah, the Cardinals went the following year, and that was Larry Fitzgerald's closest chance to win in the Super Bowl. Um, but we'll move it to uh, our last two subjects, which is uh, it's still in the realm of football. So J.J. Watt recently addressed the uh, – DeAndre Hopkins trade and said it it did catch his eye and his comments were it's above my pay grade so what do you feel JJ Watt is letting on about in the statement Um, I think that he just wants to stay quiet Um, he doesn't want to step on anybody's toes he's always been somebody who has not been controversial. He's the guy that everybody likes, um, everybody roots for, and he he, <laughs> he just does not want to get in any any type of media scrutiny. He just wants to keep quiet, lay low, and do his job. He protecting his pockets. He clearly saying that uh, it's above my pay grade. He is literally talking about his pocket. He's saying if I say anything, I, I, I my money's gonna be gone. So I, I'm good. Y'all, y'all, y'all got this. I will admit it did catch my eye, and I was wondering, like, what in the hell are y'all doing? But, hey, it's above my pay grade. They pay me. Yeah, I agree. And he he just does not want to lose any money at this point. And he's basically near the end of his career because he just keeps getting hurt, and there's no guarantee that he'll get any other big contract Agreed, because they might be ready to move on from him now. So he he does not want to tempt his fate, especially when he had a few times he put up zero stats as he was a premier defensive player in this league. Um, But without Hopkins, do you see the Texans as a Super Bowl contender in any little bit? (laughs) No, no, I don't. They, I don't, who is their number one receiver? I, I don't know at this point. Yeah, at this um, point, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Deshaun Watson, he can't do everything by himself. And their defense has never been the greatest. And whenever you take away some of his better weapons and then give him something worse, it's just not going to be any better. I mean, there are going to be some teams that surprise us, but I don't think they will be the one. I completely agree. Um, I, I, they're looking to try to make Deshaun Watson into um, Russell Wilson, where he doesn't have a lot of weapons, but he makes something happen out of it. He He's an amazing talent. Like, he really is. But I think by that trade, they just stunted his growth by at least two to three years. 
Uh, he's just going to sit in a hole that's going to be extremely redundant and not very successful for them probably in the next two years unless they make a major move. Maybe if they could get Odell Beckham, and that just came to my mind, that could actually save the situation. Well, what's going to save the situation is a immediate fire of their head coach and GM. That will save the situation. I agree. I can agree, but they're not going to do that. Uh, they, they've made, made their bed, I think, at this point. Uh, but we'll move to the last subject, which is about Frank Gore and him getting signed to the Jets. So is it surprising Frank Gore is still in the league and still productive? No, it's not really surprising. Um, I thought that he was at the end of his career uh, back whenever he joined the Colts because um, I was like, why are you signing him? He's pretty much washed up. And he's not as good as he used to be, but the guy never gives up. He's always going to go in head first, and he's going to surprise you. He's going to keep trucking. Um, but I also wonder if he's got the same problems as Adrian Peterson where I he's <laughs> I was gonna where go he's, there too. He's some money. So I was gonna go that. there too. I was definitely gonna go there too. Because I was like, that's the only two people you can kind of bank on to still be playing in the league, even though you think they were possibly already retired. Uh Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson. I think Adrian Peterson, like you said, has uh We've already kind of covered that he has money issues, and that's one reason why he's he's still playing in the league. He's actually in debt, so it's not like he's even making profit at this point, which just by what's been um, kind of spread about his situation. Um, now, Frank Gore, I don't uh, – who knows his finances? I'm still surprised. I'm surprised, just like you said, uh, when it, he went he went to the Colts. Uh, I really thought his career was already over. I can't completely agreed it was I thought it was already over but it looks like he is still a very productive back and I was even surprised to find out he was 36 years old as I thought you know running backs don't have a long uh career in the league yeah he yeah I think he will be a first ballot hall of famer um mm. just without off Super Bowl? Of longevity yeah, without the Super Bowl, just off of longevity, because I think he's top five in rushing all time just for just playing for so long. True. I, I can agree. Which uh, is barely is it, first ballot. Is it Adrian Peterson above him somewhere in there, too? I don't know. Let me check real quick. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll wait. So Emmett Smith is number one. Walter Payton is number two. Frank Gore is number three. Barry Sanders four and Adrian Peterson is number five, and Ooh. Frank Gore has a thousand yards on Adrian Peterson. Dang. Well, I I didn't have this question before, but why is it that Adrian Peterson is held higher than Frank Gore when they both don't have championships? Because Adrian Peterson was basically a monster ever since he first entered the league. And he almost set the single-season rushing record for uh, for a running back back in, I think it was 2012, somewhere around there. But Adrian Peterson, he's just a lot more flashier, bigger name. And I, I still think he's an overall better running back. True, true. Even though he actually, out that from seeing that, he definitely all uh, first fell at Hall of Famer. Because I, I, I would have never questioned whether Adrian Peterson was one. Uh, but I, I should be even crazier by questioning uh, Frank Gore. I, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of possibly assume. But because Adrian Peterson did uh, tear his ACL one year, and that is roughly, he, he gains at least 1,000 yards every season. Maybe that's the gap that separated them from where they're positioned in the all-time list. Okay, I'm going to interject here and say that Adrian Peterson, he tore his ACL, I think, in the last two games, one of those oh, in that so season. that's not going to count. No, but I'm going to also say that he lost the season due to that suspension with his uh, son. So <sighs> there's that. <laughs> I, I completely forgot about that. And I'm glad I forgot about it, to be real. Because I didn't, I completely forgot he even lost the season off of that. Yeah, I think he only played like one game. Wow, I, I honestly completely forgot he got suspended ever. Yeah, so. 
So that's t- that is still roughly a thousand, if not a little bit more. And I, of course, I'm pouring it on the, for, I guess, possibly more favoritism towards um, Adrian Peterson because he was a freak of nature. Frank Gore, I just like running with him in the game because in general, he in the game, he was fast and he could also run over people. It was a, just a little bit different. Actually, I'm I, I, sorry. I, I I know I'm all well, all subject, but when it came to the game and we played rushing attack, I always the matchups always had to be Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore, or it had to be Sproles where they and Ladamian Thomason where they were running fast. Yeah, and I think Frank Gore he might not have ever been looked at as the best running back during any year, but just off of longevity and production. He gets in. Oh, you know that? That's probably why we hold Adrian Peterson above. Uh, because Adrian Peterson actually won an MVP of the league. And Frank Gore never did. And will never uh, get one. Because <laughs> even if he's in the league now, he's not going to get one. No, that's not happening. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty confident in saying he'll never get one. Yeah, that, that's that's impossible. Even um, if he, he plays four more years, he's not going to get it. No, he's going to have to do better than what Adrian Peterson his his best year he's gonna have to do better than that and that was an unreal year cause, because Adrian Peterson was a freak of nature he still is he's still more than likely still will be playing in the league so, uh, and probably for the Redskins which it will suck um, but we'll <laughs> go ahead and end it there and this has been so you think you know sports uh, then we have our last part which is the trivia part uh, like always Muhammad comes up with the questions. I uh, try to answer them, give you a little feedback on what I may know about the subject. They're all multiple choice, and try to guess with me. Uh, go ahead with the first question, Muhammad. All right. Which NFL coach complained about his portrayal in the Madden NFL 20 game, saying he looked like a zombie? A, Jets, Adam Gase, B, Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, or C, Bears, Matt Nagy. Mm. I honestly don't know. So this is going to be a shoot in the dark. Um, but I'm. it's going to be a complete shoot in the dark. And only because I'm going to go by somebody who I think I've heard their name. <laughs> I don't even know which year is this. Uh, Madden 20. 20. Oh, 2020. Mm. You're talking about this past game. Yeah, the last game. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Okay. I was thought thought you were referring to something in the 90s or early 2000s. Okay. Uh, say the question and answer again. All right. Which NFL coach complained about his portrayal in the Madden NFL 20 game saying he looked like a zombie? A, Jets, Adam Gase. B, Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury. Or C, Bears, Matt Nagy. I honestly don't know, but I, I, I'm just going to go with the Cardinals. I'm going to go with B. That's right. Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe I heard something and I retained the information. I have no idea. <laughs> Do you even know who he is? <laughs> Not really. No, but I feel like I've heard his name and maybe it was because of this reason. But I don't know. That's that's why I went with it. <laughs> well, he was the one with the bachelor pad at the uh, at the at the draft, the, the NFL draft. And once again, I'm sorry, but I didn't really watch the draft like that. I saw the results. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> you know how I said about the draft. I didn't, I didn't even really care. I catch the highlights. Okay. Well, number two, which of the following NBA players fits this profile? An NBA champion, NBA three-point contest winner, and a four-time All-NBA player? A, Paul Pierce. B, Reggie Miller. Or C, Peha Stoyankovic. Peha Stoyankovic. Okay. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure I know which one on this one. Uh, but, um, yeah, go ahead and just give me a question and answer again. Which of the following NBA players fits this profile? NBA champion, NBA three-point contest winner, and a four-time All-NBA selection. A. Paul Pierce, B. Reggie Miller, or C. P. 
Peja Stojankovic. Okay. So the only thing I don't know about this question is whether Peja Stojankovic actually won a championship. That's the only thing I don't know about this. But I'm going to pretty confidently, like 75%, um, pick Paul Pierce because I know Reggie Miller didn't win a championship. And that is correct. Um, Pear Stankovic, he did win a championship, but he's not a four-time. Well, he, he's he hasn't had an All NBA selection. Yeah, I respect the the throw off because Reggie Miller was an amazing three point shooter. But yeah, I knew he didn't have a championship. Okay, <laughs> number three. Which of the following schools was Michael Jordan's first choice for college basketball? A NC State, B, UCLA, or C, Duke? And you said where he was a student at? No, his first him. choice. First choice oh, to go. Oh, okay. First choice to go to. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Interesting, because I, I don't think I'll find that in any part of the documentary uh, that I saw there. And not previous knowledge. Um, I guess go ahead again with the question and answer. Which of the following schools was Michael Jordan's first choice for college basketball? A, NC State, B, UCLA, or C, Duke? First choice. Okay, gosh. Mm. Duke would be an easy answer because it's in the same area. NC State, you wouldn't think it would be NC State, but I feel like it would be an off answer like that. And UCLA, it was a great, great basketball school. Great basketball school. So that might be the one he actually was leaning towards. They're not one now, but they were definitely back in the 80s and 70s and a good amount of times. So, oh, God. Um, I'm going to go with UCLA. That's correct. Oh, three for three. It's been a long time. <laughs> You're right, though. But, hey, I broke that one down, though. I, I have to. <laughs> it, it's yeah, been but, a while since you got off. Yeah, those, those, were Duke, <laughs> those were good questions, though. So, but I, I just through my knowledge of knowing that UCLA was already a good school and uh, for basketball. You wouldn't know that now because in, in, like, the past 20 years, they have sucked. When it came to basketball, but during Michael Jordan's era, and even when he brought was brought up, UCLA was an amazing school. And I don't know why I would think he would want to go to Duke. I was possibly thinking he would go to NC State just because it was an off answer. Yeah, well, he actually did like NC State growing up, but that wasn't his first choice. Mm, see, I, I knew something about that. Okay, but. Uh, we will be definitely giving you the updated news on sports as we are on quarantine watch. See you next week.